and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. Really good conversation today with somebody I've known on Twitter for, like, ever. Cam, you probably know him as Soy Butte. He's a Bruins fan. We had a really good talk about what the last couple of years have been like for the Bruins. They, they've hung around. They've floated around. They've had two really good cracks at the Stanley Cup, two additional... Pretty good runs at it, conference finals, losing game sevens of second rounds. The Bruins have been invited to the ball more than once, and when it was time to talk to Prince Charming, they just they weren't able to close. The conversation didn't go too well. The slipper didn't fit. Whatever analogy you want to use to describe how the Bruins haven't won another Stanley Cup since the one they won back in 2011 against the Canucks. They've had good cracks. They've had really good chances. This is a good conversation about a team that's probably destined for a first-round exit against a juggernaut like Carolina or Florida, but still got to play out the rest of these games and has had to play an entire season. That's the thing when you're one of these teams that's kind of stuck in the middle with no real way to get better because you're capped out and you can't wait for your prospects to develop like the Bruins are. So this was a good conversation. It was really nice to get to peel back the layers and talk about the Bruins with Cam. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So number one, if you're not already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're available on all of the major podcasting platforms. Number two, if you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave the show a review. If you're using Apple Podcasts, You've hit subscribed in the top right corner, that little plus sign. So you're going to go down past the show logo, past our recent episodes. You're going to scroll a little bit. Then there are going to be five clear purple stars. You hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. Do that for any podcast, TikTok, YouTuber, any content you enjoy. Leave them feedback. That shit matters. Number three, keep an eye out. I'm going to write something. It'll either go up Thursday or Friday on Gotham Ascent about the Rangers. Not sure what path I'm going to write on. I have like five different things outlined in my notes here that I want to write about, but I haven't been able to settle on which one I want to write about first. I have the opposite of writer's block. I have writer's mania right now. But something will go up before the weekend about the Rangers, probably trade deadline oriented. I wrote something last week about why adding something at the deadline probably won't solve any of the institutional big infrastructure problems that the team has and the way they play. But enough on that. Let me get to the conversation with Cam. The Bruins are pretty good. Pretty good isn't going to cut it when you got to play Florida or Carolina or Tampa. Okay. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. with that i'm very happy for the first time to welcome cam you might know him better as sway butte to the show how are you doing cam i'm doing awesome how are you doing i'm enjoying it we're at that really fun part of the hockey calendar where basically anything could happen and it makes every day exciting you never know what's going to happen the next time you you refresh twitter (laughs) i feel that especially with uh, the trade deadline coming up yeah, that. I mean, we had the hurdle extension get announced today. Sherratt got traded in the last hour. Kale Yancroft got traded in the last hour. And there's still 
a lot of guys out there. Not as many as we thought there were a couple weeks ago, which we'll get into a little bit more specifically talking about the Bruins. But there's definitely some move out there that nobody is expecting that's going to come. I 100% agree with you. And it's probably not going to be wild as like, you know, maybe the NBA or, you know, MLB lately, NFL, but it's it might happen. Who knows? Yeah. The, the NHL GMs are weird. Let's just leave it at that for now. They're very weird in how they operate. They all wait till the last minute like it's a paper they're handing in. I don't understand why we're waiting till you know, an hour before the deadline when you've had a month and a half. Like a team like the Bruins, a team like the Rangers, who have a clear need for a top six forward, just waiting till the last possible minute. The last time I waited at the very end for the Bruins to do something, we got deadline Drew Stafford, so... <laughs> Drew Stafford, they've gotten, I think they were one of the teams that traded for Lee Stepniak on deadline day at one point. They had the Aginla year, the Yager year. The Bruins have definitely had a fair share of their chaotic deadlines. I, I, I just, we always get the, oh, we're interested in this, but then it never happens. And we'll just get some bottom six guy, who knows. Yeah. All right. So let's start at the beginning. When I have people on for the first time, I like to get to pick their brain a little bit, understand how they interact with sports. So the first question I have, very straightforward, what's your relationship with sports been like in your life? Are you an athlete person? Are you a NARP? Where, what's your background with sports? So I started out as an athlete when I was very young. I mean, mm -hmm. I think everyone kind of grew up at one point playing, starting out with baseball first, or maybe <laughs> even soccer. But I definitely did not like soccer. I actually quit it for hockey, fun fact. And that was probably my best decision I did make. So I was always a, uh, a baseball and hockey guy. I played golf here and there just because it was something I could do with my dad because I literally live right next to a little golf course. So I get to kind of go there or just walk there. But definitely I was always growing up playing baseball. I was a catcher. And then a few times I would actually have baseball practice and then I would go immediately to hockey after, like I was insane at six years old. So definitely, definitely always an athlete. I always wanted to play something, but unfortunately injuries catch up to you. Yeah, that's one of those things. As you get older, every time you're kind of hurt, it takes a little bit longer for the pain to go away. That was yep. kind of the point for me. It was like, every time I throw a baseball, my elbow kind of pops. So I should probably stop doing that. Not a good thing to do. I found that out when I uh, got concussed about five to six times. So I was like, maybe I should probably take care of myself. <laughs> we all have to have that conversation. So what is it about hockey that's kind of stuck with you a little bit more? I know you said baseball too, but I know you, I know your online presence is mainly hockey. What about hockey resonates with you? I just love the sport. Like it was, it was always common, like just the, I guess like the overall vibe of it, waking up, going to those early morning practices, putting it on like a jersey with your name, a custom jersey. I'm actually looking at my custom jerseys right now, right next to me. It was, we actually had the, uh, we were called the Bay State Sharks. So we had like the Worcester colors, that teal. We even had the Buffalo style, but it was something about gearing up, putting all that stuff out and then going out on the freezing rink that I, I guess I just couldn't get enough of. Would you say that the how would you just a better quite way to phrase it? How would you describe the hockey culture in New England? Because that and Minnesota, Michigan are kind of the birthplaces of American hockey. So how would you describe what it's like up there? 
I would say just about everyone here is a diehard in one way or another. I mean, I'm from a very small, like backwoodsy town. So obviously I don't get to see it a lot. But the minute I'm around just Boston in general, somebody's wearing something. Maybe it might be college hockey, Bruins. It's always something. And even going to the games, it was like the roof wanted to blow off the building at some point. It's just, it, I love the atmosphere here. It's even playing pond hockey here is you got like those, it's, it looks like a picture you would see on Instagram or something, a, a nice little pond hockey. I, I still even try and do that nowadays too, whether the ponds freeze over or not, or I can find a puddle somewhere. <laughs> because that's one of those things where even me, just as a hockey fan, every spring, every late February, it's like, yeah, I guess I'm watching the Bean Pot this weekend. And just what's that like living up there? Because I know that's kind of a big deal in a way that I, I guess the best way I could compare it is kind of the way the Subway Series is in New York with the Yankees and the Mets, where the college hockey team is fighting for bragging rights within the city. The bean pie is just a whole nother level. Like you, you're putting the four Boston, big Boston, like normally when people think of like, oh, college teams, like they'll think of like, you know, just Michigan or like the Wolverines or Spartans. But we have four that pretty much just want to kill each other at all times. I mean, I work at Harvard, so I, I can, I've been around the team enough to see it. So I guess I have my uh, rooting alliance there, but just seeing it just, in the garden with a bunch of just drunk college kids it's it's insane yeah because you've got northeastern bcbu and harvard and that's four pretty good college hockey programs all within you know 15 miles of each other so that that kind of civic connection to it where it's very tied to the city it's unique the energy of austin as a city is really interesting because there are all the college kids it's a younger city in that way and it makes for a good time boston's one of my favorite places it's a good place to visit i absolutely love it here i say second best would probably have to be uh i've grown to like michigan lately too they yeah. they have a great programs out there fun teams it's it reminds me of the Boston Brotherhood in a way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So transitioning now towards the bees themselves, they're playing the wild right now. They've kind of been, I don't want to, I don't know what the right way to describe it is. Like if Cinderella went to the ball and didn't run into Prince Charming kind of vibe <laughs> for a while now, where they've gotten to the conversation with Prince Charming a couple of times and both times it's ended very traumatically and in very defining, like if I close my eyes, I can picture both of them type deals. What's this 10 year ish window since the cup win against the Canucks been like, because they've come really close three, four times. It's it's like they love to tease you, like it's just in some some way, and then sometimes it'll end like, oh wow, I'm really excited, and then it just ends up like you're broken hearted by the end. I mean, I I don't actually have much memory of 2013 because that was actually around the time that I was dealing with all those concussions and memory memory loss and whatnot. So I do remember a bit of it, but I think the most recent one would be. Because I took a break from hockey between 2013 and 2015. It was around when I was in college that I started watching them again. And that's when they were kind of still figuring out what they wanted to do. Like, that was the series that we played the Senators. And we were just, we were in the wild card for that. Yeah. So, though, 
like to see the team grow within these five years because I've watched literally every game. It's you. It's so hard to describe. You just never know what team you're gonna get. You're gonna either gonna get the team that gives up seven goals one night to the Capitals, or you're gonna have a team that just looks like they're firing on all cylinders. I. It's so hard to describe. They've had quite a few close calls. They've had quite, they had 2013 where they lost to Chicago, 2019 where they lost to the Blues. They had quite a few conference final appearances in there too, where most of the time when they've lost, they've lost to the team that eventually won the Stanley Cup. And they've built a really good and a sustainable roster where you always know if you have Marshawn, you have Bergeron. For a while, it was Tori Krug and Chara, now McAvoy kind of taking that. Pasternak came in a little bit after that initial group, where you had those guys who were on the team that won the Cup, but weren't the biggest parts of them. And kind of, the Bruins have done a masterful job of being able to pass the mantle on to guys, because they have such a strong, I don't know what the right way to describe it, institutional knowledge, such a strong culture, where when younger guys come in, they see what the expectation is, and you have somebody like David Posternock just dropped in there, and five years later, he's one of the four or five best goal scorers in the league, and there's pretty much no worries he's going to go somewhere else in two years, because it kind of seems like the Bruins have that part of the hockey figured out. The on the ice stuff, you know, that ebbs and flows, but the intangibles, the culture, the institutional knowledge, it seems like the Bruins really have that figured out. Yeah, back to that late, um, that culture thing. You're right about that, just because I've we always see reports talking about because now Bergeron's our captain, and he's he's kind of been a captain for years, just without yeah. that C. That the culture is so huge. You always hear about guys talking about like if they end up leaving Boston, that the culture was one of the best things that they they had just because of that entire leadership core. Yeah, I mean, the what's it called? The way I always described it was there's the one interview that Char did a couple years ago for, I forget what what series it was after, where they were talking to him where he's like, we don't treat the rookies any differently than anybody else. They're on the team. Just because they're new to the team doesn't mean they're any different. And like that sounds so like painfully simple and obvious, but that makes a difference when those young guys feel at part of the group, that they're not othered. And that kind of institutional knowledge that got passed down from Chara to that younger group of Bergeron and McAvoy, and now You've got even younger guys where you have McAvoy, who's going to be one of those guys. Swayman is one of those younger guys where you're not worried about it because there's just so much continuity that when you have those foundational building blocks who are good at hockey and you have the culture figured out, you can kind of jig around the border and figure out the rest of the puzzle. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. Just because nowadays, like you always hear about hockey culture, just it's being so toxic. I mean, Sometimes I shouldn't, but I'll look at the Instagram comments just on their any NHL thing, and it's just it's it's horrible to see. It's like it's so insane, like that people will like think that way and act that way just just because it's hockey. It's been institutionalized since the very beginning, so it's always nice. Like everyone always rags on, like oh, the Bruins are such an awful franchise, but in reality, like you always hear more positive things here and there just about us just from the culture standpoint and just from people. Definitely. And they've had some really interesting developments. I mean, I still think about like Brad Marshawn to me in the back of my mind is still like, you know, 
third line left wing pain in the ass and like very casually out of nowhere just yeah he's a 35 goalie guy now just very casually that that development just i don't even know if i would call it development i would just say revelation just insane when you think about it where he was at the start of this trajectory you know morris jan i remember watching him in his rookie year just because he was buddies with sagan at the time now he's in Dallas just because we had that lovely trade. I still will never forget that, 4th of July. But, yeah, Martian going from – he's always – I do remember his past year, so I definitely do see where people come in with the whole bias. I totally understand it. I'm not going to be – I don't like homerism. It's always seemed to, like, kind of bug me and bias. Like, you can't just look at it, like, this way. You can kind of understand people, but – Aside from his recent suspensions, which maybe one out of two of them, I get, but he's, I think that Char, Bruce Cassidy, and Bergeron just sat him down one day and said, you just got to act as more of a leader because we, you're important to the team. We need you. And ever since then, he's kind of cleaned up himself in a way. It, I think it's helped us for the better. I mean, a few seasons ago, he was a hundred point yeah. leader. So yeah, they have found a way. And one of the things about the Bruins that I've always kind of, they've churned out basically two whole teams in the time period since they won the cup, where they had the holdovers from that post-cup era. Then they drop in guys like Tory Krug, Rask takes over for Tim Thomas, and just casually bringing those guys along. And because they have the high-end guys who are expensive, they've had to let some of these guys go, where they let Lucic leave in free agency. They let Tory Krug leave, even though they really did want to bring him back. And they've kind of had to adapt. They've tried to develop and solve a lot of their problems in-house. And I don't know how practical that is. I mean, the Bruins drafting, especially in the last five, six years, has kind of been hit or miss. But they've turned over so many quality players. And that just, again, it speaks to the quality of the franchise, that there are this many quality players that come through that system and that other teams are willing to pay a premium for on July 1st and give them those massive contracts. And that's, that's a good way to know your franchise is doing something right when your players become free agents and other teams are just pounding down the door to give them a ton of money. A few years ago, I actually heard a joke saying that the Bruins are actually a farm system for most of the NHL. I'm like, what? No, they aren't. And I was like, I was young at the time. And then now I'm 24, almost 25. I'm like, oh, that's what they meant. <laughs> so I, <laughs> at some point, it's like I've definitely seen more prospects go here and there and then have success elsewhere. And sometimes it gets annoying because it's like, all right, what do we do wrong? Like, wh- how can we can we fix this within maybe three years so that we don't have to have like maybe all these low end prospects as I want to have, be able to have success. I want to have another cup run, but just ever since 2019, my heart kind of shattered. So I, I kind of, I kind of lower my expectations now, just so it doesn't hurt me like that again. Definitely. That's one of those things as I've gotten older, I've come to kind of come to, I've had to come to terms with that, that, Probably just better to have low expectations, and if something great happens, terrific, but you can't be living and dying. There are 82 regular season games before you even get to the playoffs. You, you will drive yourself insane. My mindset, as as probably bad as it is, I'm like, all right, lost this season, on to the next one. <laughs> like, I'm done, just, just give me 
get me through summer. I'll be fine. I'll live. I'll probably yeah. cry here and there, but you won't hear about that. So you mentioned before about how they I, we've been talking about how they've put together this really strong continuous group. And I still remember when they fired Claude Julian kind of being like, wow, they fired a pretty good coach and being a little bit skeptical of them promoting someone internally in Cassidy. And I was pretty wrong. Bruce Cassidy is one of probably the five or six best coaches in the entire NHL. What are your impressions of Cassidy as a coach? I honestly loved him. I loved his different system, like from the get go, just because you saw it, like all these players like have more success underneath them. I mean, people always mention how Claude didn't, he really didn't like the younger guys. So who knows how Pasternak would have ended up? Who knows how DeBrusque would have ended up underneath them? But I think the coaching change, as shocking as it was at the time, just because I grew up with him too, was probably for the better. I mean, I saw the stat yesterday. He, like Bruce is like 236 and 100 for his record. I forgot the, um, the last one, but just you, you can see that much success. Sometimes I'll question his coaching, his choices here and there, but I mean, who doesn't with their coaches? But I'm, I'm not the coach. I'm, I'm no expert like him, so I can't say much. Gotcha. I mean, because – the Bruins under Cassidy have always had really good defensive numbers. Their team defense has always been really strong since he became the head coach. They're very aggressive in the neutral zone, trying to stop the other team from even getting to the offensive zone, which is the best form of defense is to be active in the neutral zone. And they've been able to do that with less than a stellar group of defensemen aside from McAvoy. I mean, last year that was kind of a mash unit back there where McAvoy was playing with pretty much anybody with a pulse this year, they've kind of had that problem too, where they have pretty talented defensemen, but they have a hard time staying healthy. Yeah. just, we've been on that unlucky run where we're still just trying to find pieces that we quite can't get in the off season that you kind of need to get up some assets for. But the problem is you got to, wonder what assets you're willing to give up just so you can have a better future and hopefully you can get something out of it maybe like a few picks with a prospect so that way you can start rebuilding for the future just because our draft like you mentioned philosophy was kind of sketchy here and there just for who we've been picking over others it's it's crazy so i mean whatever happens i'm hoping that by the deadline maybe the bruins will get some top pairing defenseman at least top four i'm hoping fingers crossed hopefully a future maybe two c just because we're missing crazy right now I, I love him but he's doing what he wanted to do with his family so i all the power to him yeah because their roster it's pretty good they're short a top six forward and like you said they probably need a top four d-man but when Grizzly's healthy, I feel like he's a pretty good second pair guy. Same thing with Brandon Carlo, but those guys have a hard time staying healthy. I know Mike Riley kind of gets ragged on online a lot, but when I have watched him, he's been decent. And their team defense is good enough. They've got a quality goaltender. They do got to get their injuries in order. I mean, hopefully Bergeron's not out too long because if there's no Bergeron, there's no point. Just being frank with you, if Bergeron's out for an extended period of time, this team is going to have a hard time. Yeah, just you see, like if you know your prob you have a problem at the center center line when you gotta swap in Tomas Nozick or Anton Bleed as your one C. That's just yeah. 
kind of shows you like the glaring problem that you're gonna you can't especially if Bergeron retires after this year yeah. we don't have a one C or a two C so what the heck is gonna happen what are your impressions of Charlie Coyle been? Because he's been there a few years now. He got an extension there, and he's always kind of floated between that two and three C role. But anytime they've ever played him in the two C for an extended period of time, it never really clicked. What are your thoughts on Charlie Coyle? So I love Coyle. I thought he, I'm not sure how much I love his contract nowadays, but as obviously a three C or a two C, just because it's a lot for what it was, but. I, I don't have a whole problem with him. I like him more at the uh, the third line center more than anything, just because he seems to be gelling well with um, Trent Frederick and Craig Smith. Just everyone likes to call it the uh, the one three two line, even though <laughs> I wish it was eleven twelve thirteen, but can't get all get what we want. But I I like him a lot more at that line, just because, like I said, they seem to gel well together. I think probably. Cause just because Coyle's up there more in age, he's probably trying to keep up with Pasternak and Hall at the same time because they're very both highly skilled players. So it might be chasing around more, but he can kind of at least be with Craig Smith who skates at his level and Trent Frederick set him up. I think just overall, he's probably better at the 3C and just not our 2C. Gotcha. They've tinkered a lot with their lineup this year because they had some dry spells, especially on offense. I mean, they still have, I think, the lowest. Yeah, they still have the lowest shooting percentage of any team in the league. They're 32nd in shooting percentage. And that kind of reflects on just bad luck as opposed to not a ton of talent because we know the Bruins have a ton of talent. I mean, any team with Bergeron, Marshawn, Hall, Pasternak, that's a lot of really good scoring talent right there. And I would say the low shooting percentage is reflective of of bad luck as opposed to no talent and they've had to juggle things around i mean they broke up that first line that had been together for quite a while to kind of try and disperse the offense throughout the lineup a little bit more and up until bergeron's injury removal from the lineup it'd been working the bruins are on a nice heater right now i think eight one and one in their last 10 something like that they've been really strong as of late and it's in part because they've been creative with the lineup i honestly thought it was probably better that the um they did break up the, I hate this term so much, the perfection line. Just every, every time it's mentioned, we get cursed. So it's just been a curse among Bruins fans. But it was probably better that they were switched up just because you need an even scoring lines. I mean, you looked at what happened with Tampa. They had four powerful lines. Like you could argue that their third and fourth line were their like second and third line, and they didn't even have a fourth line. So we kind of you kind of need to disperse the um, the scoring between each lines rather than being either top heavy or bottom heavy. Just because one year in the playoffs it was nothing but the first line scoring, and then if they were shut down, no more scoring. The next year, people figure out how to shut them down, and there was just the bottom six scoring. And you can't have that if you're trying to make a deep run. So I think it's a lot better that Pasternak is with Hall, just because. They're both skilled players. They both know what they can do with each other. It's probably honestly better for the long run. Yeah, I mean, they've done an interesting job of trying to fill that hole for Krejci because Krejci's regular season numbers were never amazing, never really close to a point-per-game guy, but just dependable as hell. That is, that's the way I would describe what Krejci was for them for so long, where consistently between 50 and 65 points, 
really close to a point per game guy in the playoffs, really good playoff performer, but they've had to figure out second line center on the fly this year. And that's not an easy thing to replace. Second line center is usually the point of demarcation between actually good teams and just good in the regular season teams. Yeah, there definitely were a few points that we were missing Krejci. I mean, like I said, all the best to him. He's playing with his family out there. He gets to live in the check. He wants to teach his kids that. So I, he got a lot of hate for that, which I never understood personally. But just for a second line, we did try that coil experiment just because I guess Sweeney thought that was probably – he wanted to see what happened. Obviously, probably wasn't for the better that we tried it out. But we found out. We know our answer now. But Hala has actually been doing pretty well with slotting in at that second-line center. I mean, no one knew that he would be that when he was actually brought in because we wanted him for probably the bumps of scoring. But now he's actually – he's sending up Hall. He's sending up Asa. I mean, I don't think he's definitely a long-term solution, not by any means, because you need something wait for the future, like a long-term to second-line center once Bergeron evidently does retire. Yeah, that's a lingering thing, and we're going to get to where the Bruins kind of go from here in a little bit, and Bergeron's pending unrestricted free agency is the, the big elephant in the room. But the last thing I want to talk about before we start talking about the team as it currently exists and where it goes from here, the goaltending carousel has been very interesting. Uh, going into the offseason, they knew Rask was going to get surgery, so they went out and got Olmark. They gave him pretty good money, to, expecting him to be the number one goalie. At the start of the season, they set, they figured Rask would be back January-ish, so they would roll with Swayman and Olmark, and Omar came out of the gate pretty cold. He had a rough start of things and kind of Swayman bailed him out and kind of stole that job. And then January came and Rask was ready to come back. They send Swayman down to the AHL. Rask plays four games and very clearly he just doesn't feel right. He retires and Swayman is back to being that number one goalie. What's that dynamic been like? Because I know at the beginning of the season, Olmark was getting it pretty bad. And there's always been that very loud minority of Bruins fans who hate on Rask for some reason. And this was just more ammo for them. On the Rask thing, definitely just because I've always loved Tuka Rask. I mean, you got a cool name and everything out of that cool mask. I mean, I we've literally had him his this entire career so obviously we want our we love our long tenure goalie i mean just it's those it's i guess that's like the older group that just saw that he fails and they rooted for him to fail which i still never understood the whole idea yeah. of rooting for someone to fail when they're on your team i will never understand it. i mean now omar is getting that unfortunately just because everyone loves swimming it's don't get me wrong, I am the biggest Swayman fan. I've been watching him since. I mean, everyone should probably know that by my Twitter, but I've been watching him since. Um, the very first time I saw Swayman was the World Junior game when they were outside. They wore those Bills yeah. hockey uniforms. And I saw him like, oh, wow, this kid's really good. And I wanted to see who he was drafted by. And we had him. So I kept tabs on him this entire time. So I knew what he was doing just – now everyone, like, obviously find out about him is like the, oh, shiny new toy. So they want to run with the kid and just with Omar there just because he's a $5 million man with the no move clause. You're like, all right, why do we have Swayman if he wants to take over? What's going to happen? You have a $5 million backup. So I guess that's probably why 
my guess is that people hated on Allmark, but they're both young. They're both serviceable. They're both pushing each other to be better. I mean, you see their dynamic, especially with those post-game hugs. They both love each other. I mean, I just – I never really understood the hate. Just obviously I'm a big Swayman fan. I'm going to root for him over Allmark, but I have no problem with Allmark here at all. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. In the modern NHL, you need to have a – 50-30 split, I would say, in your starts for goalie, and you probably need a third goalie who can give you 5-10 to 10 in a pinch if one of your guys gets hurt. So it's not a bad thing to have two goalies you can depend on. That's why I, I didn't really I, – I won't say I don't understand it because they're just irrational people who like to hate on people, so definitely get that. But it's not a bad thing to have two goalies who are dependable. And, yeah, they kind of need to iron out – a little bit more make get him a little more comfortable but goalies are kind of weird like that where you can be very good on another team and get dropped somewhere else and not necessarily be good even though you're going from a worse team to a better team so goalies are goalies are weird yeah definitely you are right goalies are weird but in the beginning i know he did start out um cold just i always thought that i mean goalie is goalie he, he has a job back then he knows his job just he's you got to stop pucks, but I know obviously it's a different system here than we have just defense-wise, so you never know what's going to happen. But I think any goalie just starts out, like, different, especially when they're on different teams. I mean, you never know what kind of goalie you're going to get in the end. I mean, you could be paying $5 million for someone who just flat out is awful, or you could get a serviceable goaltender while you wait for hopefully someone to come back, maybe let your rookie goalie – develop more who knows i mean that's what i originally wanted when i heard about the whole raskin like all right you got raskin Allmark, obviously both very good goalies you got swayman also as their goalie so one goes down you still have good goalies like bruce said it's not a bad problem to have three really good goalies especially with the playoff run i mean even um i'll credit ty anderson who's a boston reporter here that when college kids go from college straight into the NHL it's a much bigger workload because they're playing way less games especially now in the upcoming months March April all those games are going to get condensed you never know how a college kid is going to be like I guess condition wise ready for that type of workload yeah no because college hockey season you're only playing about 30 40 games and if you're a goalie tandem you're probably you're gonna start 20 of those 30 regular season games something like that so going from 20 to 40 like swayman probably is this year that's a lot i wrote down the split yeah omar has 29 starts swayman has 27 and rask had four that's a pretty even split and like you said the schedule is going to get really tight here down the stretch and you're probably going to have a lot of back-to-backs down the road and you're going to need to be able to depend on both of your goalies because you can't punt when you have your backup in net which is something a lot of teams have to do because they don't have a good backup whereas the Bruins they feel like if they get Olmark in a good swing he'll be fine so definitely a good problem to have everyone the goalie is like one of the most important um, positions sorry especially (laughs) when going into the playoffs because once if your goalie crumbles if both goalie crumbles that's that's the that's the end. You're, you yeah. might as well just say bye by the wild card first round. Just you need that dependable bas- backstop. And I'm I'm really curious to see how well these two are gonna gonna do. I mean, swimming has been just outstanding lately. He's just been insane. So he looks like he's 
NHL ready. He still has definitely some rookie rookie pains that he's got to get out of, like his rebound control. But that's that's easily fixable, especially for a first year goalie in the NHL. But he's been just been doing so well, and I just I love seeing it. Obviously, yeah. but yeah, you need you need those. You need a good goalie going into the playoffs. So who knows what's going to happen for us. All right, so big picture, looking at the team the way it was coming into this season, what were your big concerns at the start of the season back in the fall based on what they had? Definitely it was um, – I wanted to see how the offense was going to gel together just because we had – it was obviously Marshan, Bertrand, Pasternak. Then you had Coyle, and then you had pretty much an entirely, like, new bottom six, like, we had we had Wagner at one point. He was put on waivers. He's down in Providence right now. Don't know if he's ever going to be here again. But you, we had so many new pieces coming off season, which I wasn't expecting at all. Once I saw Olmark was signed, I'm like, all right, what's going on? We, I mean, we got Nick Foligno. He's been kind of cold here and there, but I guess he's he's just kind of there. I guess <laughs> that's the best way I can say it. We got Derek uh, Forbert on um, the bottom bottom parents so obviously some size i guess here and there i mean he's also just kind of there so it was kind of just we brought in so many new pieces i was really wondering how the team in general was just gonna gel together throughout the season and so far it was a little rough here and there but it's gonna happen oh jeez sorry watching the (laughs) game yeah i just saw that too yeah yeah but yeah, no, that was that was my biggest concern. Just I wanted to see how well this this entire team was gonna gel together in the end. Just because I didn't think they were gonna, I don't think they're gonna make it all the way to the Stanley Cup. Maybe I want. Hopefully they get out the first round. Who knows? But that those were my pretty low expectations in the beginning. Would you say they've kind of played how you expected? Better, worse? Where have they been on that radar? I would say they're kind of um, – I say they're fighting between good and mediocre in a way just because okay. we have some really awesome lights. Like, we've had this really good stretch, and we had some good stretches in the beginning, but then we ha- like we faced, like, a playoff team. Like, we faced the Panthers, Carolina, or Tampa, and we just – we look – like, we're not, like, fighting for anything. They just look awful, but then we obviously paid – play the uh, lower tier teams, I guess, and we just beat them up sometimes. Even then, we'll sometimes play down to our opponents, so you never know what every Bruins fan says. You never know what Bruins team you're going to get when they go out there. Yeah, I mean, they've had some weird runs where, like, their goaltending has just been non-existent, like it was middle of January, early in the season in October. Swayman's been great the last 10. Then the shooting percentage dips have been absurd, but the process is good. When I watch the Bruins play, I have an understanding of what they are trying to do. Now, they don't always do it, but their defensemen pass the puck out of danger. They've got a pretty, I'd say, relatively mobile group of defensemen. They transition from defense to offense pretty well. 
Their top six is really good at getting to offense because they have so many dynamic players. When you can just get the puck up to a Marchand or a Pasternak or a Taylor Hall, those guys can just get the zone on their own. They don't need puck support. They can just skate past who's in front of them. And that makes it easier for everybody. So when we were talking about before how Hall has fit in between Pasternak and Hall, well, yeah, because Eric Hall... Does it, he just got to get to the zone. The other guys are managing the puck. He just has to play off of what they're doing. And now that's not easy to do. It's hard to play with elite players. There's a reason you try to have as many marquee players together as possible. But on a baseline level, I understand what the Bruins are trying to do. They have a pretty solid structure. It always results in good defensive stats, which is pretty hard to do to be consistently good on defense. Defense is something that doesn't really stick year to year, but they have continuity. They've had the same coach, the same system. They're still trying to figure out how the pair should fit together. I know they've had Grizzly and McAvoy at points. They've had McAvoy with Mike Riley. When Carlo's been in the lineup, they've done him and Grizzly. And then, like you said before, they have Forbort and Connor Clifton on that third pair. It's a pretty good roster it plays pretty well but like you said i think they're probably at least one to two players away from being a serious contender yeah you definitely just obviously seeing posternock martian and Bergeron, it's like it's so fluid with all their passes i've i've seen so many of those tic-tac goals it's just yeah. insane to see and i can definitely i can definitely relate as a former player just because i was strict switch between center and right wing. I was no by no means a huge goal scorer. I was actually very happy. I scored my first goal on my last game against one a buddy of mine. So I had bragging rights over that. But I was definitely I can relate more to the all right, I have two good people by my side. If I can just set up plays and get the puck to them, I know something good is gonna happen. And that's pretty much what Hall is there for what posture not call you get the stick on one of them something good is going to happen at least some good plays some good shots and everything so when you think about the team big picture they're an older group their average forward age is 29 their average defenseman age is like 27 and a half and you mentioned before they're probably a player or two away from being a legitimate contender they've been in that tier like we talked about before at the beginning of the show where they've always kind of been active at the deadline because they've always been pretty close do you think they kind of have to be uber aggressive at this point because there's so much uncertainty about the near future they def i've always said since the beginning they definitely got to buy this time around just because if sweeney truly is true to his word that he wants to get berger on Marchand and at least some of the i mean a lot of our core from that that era of Bruins is gone right now. But if he wants to get um, Bergeron and Martian a cup, or at least a chance to get a cup, he's got to be he's got to be very active on the trade front. I mean, just we've seen our prospects come up and down here and there, not really do anything much. So you don't really know their value. But at this point, you got to try and at least buy something for them. They they got to be aggressive, and even then buy for the future just because yeah. we're gonna need it so you're thinking more along the lines of like a chicken as opposed to like um i'm trying to think of who's it oh like a giordano who's an expiring contract you're thinking about a multi-year window as opposed to just this year i definitely if they had to get a few rentals here and there just to push each other like when they got mark recchi at the time yeah. as well 
that was definitely like one of those cases where we sold up like Wheeler pretty much and got every, everything turned out obviously pretty fine for us. I mean, I remember watching that game, but we we need something obviously for the future long run. You get a few rentals, plug them in here and there, that'll be fine. But just you, we have no idea what's going to happen in this offseason. We need somebody that can have a, like a solid top pair with McAvoy instead of, all right, one night you're going to get Grizzly, and then one night you're going to get Forbert. So he's like, you got to figure something out. I'm hoping yeah. at least. It's one of those things. It's really hard to play with an elite defenseman. Like McAvoy makes it look very easy, and he's one of the guys where when you watch him play, he doesn't have like any elite physical traits. He's not the fastest skater. He's not the hardest hitter. He doesn't have a crazy reach. He's just really smart and he thinks the game very well. It's the same thing with Adam Fox, where he's not going to win a lot of foot races to the puck. He's just going to know where he needs to be. And trying to find the right complement for that is difficult. And the Rangers have done that with Ryan Lindgren. The Bruins need to find their equivalent to Ryan Lindgren, somebody who can play off of the elite defenseman. Yeah, McAvoy, I like to – I always like hearing the um, comparison between Fox and – McAvoy just got I think they're up there with each other like they're both like neck and neck I think I definitely think Fox is probably a, li- a little bit better but they're both right then and there I love seeing Fox play a lot I mean they even played when they were younger I mean you hear it on TNT and formerly NBC all the time so you kind of can't forget that but I think if you get like just yeah McAvoy he's He's just McAvoy. He might not be like that fancy, like Shea Weber, Roman Yossi, or like even prime Eric Carlson. But McAvoy, he's definitely going to be a future Norris winner. I'm hoping. I think he definitely will get a Norris in his career sometime. But he may not look all flashy. But just if you watch, like he's really smart on the puck. He's got great hockey senses. He does yeah. everything right. And that's what you want in a defenseman. You don't have to have this next, like, Ray Borg or Bobby Orr, just because I don't think anybody's ever going to really be them. But, I, yeah, with McAvoy, he's just, he's just McAvoy. That's a perfect way to think about it, because I was thinking of trying to rattle around in my brain the first time I remember watching him. And it was that one World Juniors where they beat Canada in the final. They won in the shootout. And he was playing, like, 31 minutes a game in the World Juniors as, like, a 17-year-old. Yep. And just – he was making it look really easy. Like like we said, the traits aren't uh, anything absurd, not a crazy skater, but he just thinks the game so well. And those are the most dangerous kinds of guys because they'll never age. Uh, he's gotten dinged up here and there over the last couple of years. But aside from that, he's not going – he's going to age really well because he thinks the game so well. And like you said, upward trajectory, the thing he needs if he wants to win a Norris – He's got to run the power play, which has been the thing for the last couple of years where he hasn't mm-hmm. put up the gaudy point totals because he's not on that first power play unit. Or when he has been, it hasn't clicked as well. So if they iron that out, he's definitely going to be in the mix with Fox, with McCarr, maybe with Mo Sider, who oh, looks yeah. pretty fucking amazing already. He's a 20-year-old. <laughs> Like, I, the, I don't know if you watched the game the other night against the Oilers, but, like, he was just walking stride for stride with McDavid, dispossessed him, took the puck back, and they went the other way. And it's just like, that guy is a college sophomore. How did he just do that? He's definitely my my choice for the Calder this season. Everyone yeah. keeps just – I don't know where bunting came from with that career. <laughs> I think it's Cider, Raymond, Zagros for yeah. sure, those top three. It would be cool if they had a goalie in there, like, swimming, but – 
they always get overshadowed by all the scores and all the points. So it's whatever. But Sider's definitely going to – he's going to be a stud for the wins for a long time. So if I asked you right now, would you rather them go get a top four defenseman or a top six winger, which do you think is more important for the team right now? I would say – well, that's a, that's a tricky one just because we need both so bad. But I think um, definitely you definitely need a top six score, I, yeah. I think. just You need scoring in the playoffs. Our, our defense has actually been pretty serviceable in their own way. But just I think scoring will definitely help them get to that next level. What's your temperature check on Don Sweeney as GM? Because I know there there's a growing contingent of Bruins fans who are kind of getting tired of him and the half measures and not really thinking too far out in advance with long-term planning. Where are you at on Sweeney? I was on the Sweeney stream for a while. Like, all right, just I didn't think like too much at the time, but just lately just seeing like, other teams kind of like propel us in their future and then just seeing us kind of like stamp that just because we always every deadline I always hear I think the most recent one that I was most surprised about is how we got called yeah for sure that was definitely like oh wow okay Sweeney that's insane and then we got he's really good at giving like as of lately besides maybe like back as Belusky he's been pretty <laughs> decent at contracts as lately Drafting still questionable, but Lysel has been doing really well in Vancouver. He's up like a point per game. But for me, I'm starting, I'm like halfway between do something or you, you got to go. It's like you're going to be gone sooner rather than later. Do you think that the way this group gets unwound over the next couple of years is kind of going to decide that where if Bergeron steps away and they kind of have to go into a different phase of the team, do you think you kind of have to change the general manager to go along with the change in direction? Or do you think Sweeney's adaptable in that, okay, we're going to have to miss the playoffs for a year or two here and we're going to have to retool this a little bit? See, the whole thing is that like with retool and everything, like I was hoping that he would like, you need the picks like for all these like recent late years. Like I think some of ours are just mostly just bottom six than anything, which is not obviously serviceable if you need top line forwards. So he's got to learn either like get a better scouting department (laughs) or start drafting a little bit better. And Minnesota just scored speaking of, (laughs) (laughs) but I think just, Sweeney's got to figure out something for the future or else he's not going to be around for much longer. Which of the big, I'll say four Bruins transactions in the last 10 years kind of irked you the most? Is it the Sagan trade? Is it not taking Barzell or Shabbat? Is it trading Blake Wheeler? Is it trading Phil Kessel? Is it trading Joe Thornton? Like what irks you the most out of all of those decisions? So I was around for the Thornton trade. I do remember that. I was very young at the time, so I didn't quite understand at the time. But my dad even said that he plugged in NHL, tried to do that trade, and they said it wasn't a good amount. So that's so funny to me. Um, Phil Kessel, 
I guess was fine just because we got Sagan out of it. I mean, we got the cup with him. That was fine. That trade was still awful. I think the one that irked me the most, probably now that I think about it and I try not to think about it, is probably that 2015 draft. Just because of how deep that actual draft was and all the players. And we have two out of the three that have requested trades and then one that's unfortunately – he was looking really good, but we didn't draft him to be a bottom six or a bottom third line parent defenseman. So it's just we got Carlo out of it. We got Lousen, but he also went to Seattle. So, I mean, what can you really say is the success out of that draft year? Yeah, I mean, because Shabbat, it was Shabbat, Barzell, and I think Kyle Connor was the third guy who went like immediately before and after the Bruins three picks in a row. That's definitely, that's probably the craziest what if is just what if the Bruins had Thomas Shabbat playing with McAvoy 30 minutes a night? <laughs> like, you think about that in a vacuum, how different the last five years are. But that's why the draft is the way it is. Like, we've been talking about it's nice to have draft picks, but eventually those guys got to, those picks have to be players. Otherwise, they're they're not worth anything. We keep getting like all these players that like we've had like a like Stutnicka. We've had him for so long, and we still don't even know what he's capable of. Just because I don't think we're probably utilizing him properly, but he's also been up on those top lines and hasn't really done a whole lot. We uh, granted we got to see like a bit more of him, but just he, like you see all these uh, teams with their draft picks and they're making the NHL versus. Meanwhile, we're still kind of rolling with the same group for. And just not like seeing like the most recent one that came up was Swayman, yeah. like just to give you an idea. And then McAvoy obviously was McAvoy, so that was fine. But everything else is like okay, we have all these picks, we have all these prospects. What are we doing with them? They're kind of just in the AHL right now. That's and- a good way to transition to what I was going to ask about DeBrusque. What would you say is what? How would you describe the last couple of years? Because that first season, he has like 25 goals as a rookie, great season, really struggles the last couple of years. He requested a trade at the beginning of this season. He's stuck it out. They haven't been able to find a trade for him. He was on a really nice run in January and early February. He's cooled off since then. How would you say this, this debrusque career arc has gone? I think everything went south that year when he got concussed by Kadri. Just because yeah. you always hear comments about how he's been softer going to the corners. And obviously, I'm not an angel player, but I can kind of relate to it just because when I got concussed, I was terrified of getting hit. Just I was always a smaller kid. I mean, I kind of grew, I'm in that six foot category versus when I was probably four feet tall, getting rocked by dudes twice my age, twice my size. So, I get it. I mean, you're very timid after getting concussions. So I think ever since then, he hasn't really been the same. I mean, he has the skill. We've all seen him. Yeah. He's he's fast. He has an insane shot, but he just hasn't been able to like gel it together until you put him with the uh, proper pieces. I mean, he wasn't doing a whole lot in the third lane, but then you watch him. Granted, you're playing with Bar- Bergeron and Martian, but he the last few goals that he had, he wasn't even with Bergeron or Marchand. So you kind of get a glimpse of what he is. And like, we've all known what he is. Just, I think that uh year, that weird COVID year when we were playing the same seven teams, it just, 
everyone just kind of fell out of favor with him just because of that second year. It was kind of like, all right, you got 27 goals this year, and then you got 16 – I can't remember the number – 16 the next year. So it's not bad, but it's also what happened. You got to wonder what happened in between then that he was – went from almost a 30 plus goal scorer to maybe not even crack 20. Yeah. I mean, when I've watched him in spurts, you see, like you said, you see the flashes, you see the puck skill, you see the mobility, his way. He's not the best playmaker, but he's got a wicked shot. So he can compensate for the fact he doesn't see the ice incredibly well. But again, this speaks to the larger institutional issue that we, they have here where you see the flashes of talent, you know, he can be good at the NHL level, but for whatever reason, it's just not coming together for him. In DeBrusque's case, I think it's a confidence thing. Just if I had to say what's really been the driving problem for him, it's a confidence thing of knowing where he needs to be. And for those younger guys, confidence is the world. If you feel like you can do something, you're going to make that play on the puck. If you're timid and, like you said, not wanting to, not wanting to make a play because you don't want to make a mistake, you're going to limit your game if you're trying to not make a mistake. Yeah, just I, I'm a huge fan of him. Just I've gotten to know him more on a personal level too. Just for if anyone has seen, I during the COVID lockout when Pasta and JD they were streamed with fans. I got to play with them, got to talk to them all the time. So obviously, I love him on that level. But I, I also love him as a player just because he's he's really skilled. He was a really fun, he's enthusiastic, this young kid with a great personality. So obviously you want to root for him. Like you don't hear of like, you never hear a bad story about DeBrusque. Everyone's always had a positive interaction with him. So it's hard not to root for the guy, but just for whatever reason, just his confidence has gone down. I don't think getting scratched back to back here and there, especially when like we have like, he had a really good game against the Rangers. I think, right before he requested a trade and then the next game he got he got healthy scratch which i probably that's what sent him over the edge where he's trying to find his game he's finally reaching that top peak and then he just gets scratched and he just loses all of his confidence yeah it's frustrating i mean the rangers have had that problem for years where they've kind of dicked around with their kid their draft picks and their younger guys and haven't been able to find the best way to get the most out of them it's frustrating as a fan so the last thing i want to touch on before i get you out of here what do you think how do you think the rest of the season plays out for the bees i hopefully by next week there's a good at least a good decent trade that if it's not going to be big, hopefully it's serviceable at the least. I don't want to see them stand pat and just do absolutely nothing or else because that's like the probably the worst thing that the Bruins could do right now. Just you hear so many stories like, oh, did, did they give up on the team? If they're not that good, they just want to wait for the draft. I mean, what kind of message does that send? For the I still don't think that they're a Stanley Cup caliber team. They're still definitely missing a few of those pieces. I mean, we've always been missing a few of those pieces here and there. Just it's it's a never-ending cycle with the Bruins. So hopefully I want to at least see them maybe I wanted them to I don't I want them to see them get to the second round. I want to see them if they're going to go out, put up a good fight. Yeah. 
bigger pick opening it up a little bit more what are you most excited about the rest of the nhl season not it could be specific to the bees or any team or any player i think just i want to see how i'm swimming i want to see how he does he handles that kind of workload for the end of the year i mean his numbers are great he's been doing insane so i'm really curious to see how he does in his very first like full year he got sent down but now he's obviously back. He was down for maybe less than a few weeks. Yeah. And he was doing fine down there. So I really want to see how he does for the rest of this year. So that way we can get a good idea of, oh, he's going to be like this maybe for hopefully the rest of his career. Then that way we can solidify it. Okay, he's definitely going to be our next Tuka Rask, hopefully. Okay, last question I have before I get you out of here. What would be your ideal Stanley Cup final? You can answer it in any way you would like. You could purely comedic purposes, good hockey. (laughs) What would you like the Cup final to be? I would love to see... um, I might get some flack for this, but just I want to see like two really good superstars. Maybe it'd be cool to see Crosby go up against uh, McKinnon just because they train yeah. with each other. I definitely think just because the abs are like, they're really good, but then they're also starting to become the caps. So <laughs> I definitely had the avalanche as my Stanley Cup final prediction. I want, I want a dark horse team to go in there. Maybe, maybe the Panthers would be cool. Who knows? Yeah. Just the not Panthers Tampa. are fun. The pa- just not Tampa. Everybody is so tired of Tampa. Everybody is so tired of Tampa. Even the Canes would be cool. I'd be fun yeah. with the Canes. The Canes would be fun. I, I've i been high on Calgary all year. They went out and they made another good trade, added another guy. I would Calgary, like Calgary. Would be nice. Yeah. I, I, I actually thought of another question while we were talking about this. If we get a Leafs-Bruins 4, do we think the internet can survive a Leafs-Bruins 4? Because it's not, it's not likely. It's only like 15, 16% chance that's the first round series based on how things are right now. But just, I don't know if we can do this again. Like the NHL might have to step in and say, we're not allowing this to happen. I don't, I think I would have to delete Twitter if it <laughs> came a Leafs Boston just because those two, two fan bases have some colorful history with each other. Part a lot for the bad just because yeah. we obviously know how crazy Leafs fans are. We know how passionate Boston fans are. I might honestly have to delete Twitter if that were to ever happen. God. I kind of hope it does purely for the chaos, but it looks like Boston <laughs> is staring down the barrel of Florida or Carolina in round one, which is, that's a tall order. Yeah, it is. Just Canes are, <laughs> the Kings have had our number this year. Panthers, we've, we've been able to show flashes with them, just obviously not recently, but who, who knows what could happen just because the playoffs are just so damn weird. That's the thing, man. All it takes is a goalie having a 940 save percentage for a week and a half, and that can be a series. I mean, if Swayman just goes Super Saiyan for a week, that could win you around. That's just – hockey's weird like that. Oh, yeah. It's just, it might pull the blues, hopefully, for the better, <laughs> so I don't have to get my heart broken like that. Yeah, God. It's very funny that Bennington is bad now. I will say I think everybody's enjoying that he's bad. Everyone is. Thanks for coming on, Cam. This was fun. It was good talking with you. Yeah, it was. I had a lot of fun. This was awesome. I was looking forward to it.
I'm glad you had a good time. All right, that will just about do it for today's show. Not sure what we're going to talk about tomorrow, but if you haven't gotten a chance, do go check out yesterday's episode with Adriano from the Unsung Octopi podcast. We talked about the Red Wings. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Cam. I will see you guys tomorrow.